Hey everyone, welcome to Overlake Christian Church. We are so excited that you're here today. In a few minutes, we will join together in worship and then hear a message from one of our pastors on our current teaching series. All together, we'll be here for just over an hour. One of our sayings around here is that connection is everything. We would love for you to connect with those around you here in the service and out in the hallway after the service today. Throughout the year, we'll be promoting events that enable you to connect with your parish and connect in groups, as well as connecting to serve in your community. If it's your first time with us today, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you have any questions or need any information, then please swing by one of our info desks in the main hallway after the service. There you'll find friendly people and a delicious gift waiting for you. Here at Overlake, there are many opportunities to serve. If you need more information about any of the various ministries, from Kidtown Children's Ministries to behind the scenes on a Sunday morning, then note that on the connection card in your handout, and we'll make sure to get you all the info you need. Thanks so much for being here today. We believe church isn't just a building to gather in on a Sunday, but that it is a family where we can come together, both here in our building and out in the community. We hope you have a great time at service Good morning, Overlake. My name is Jessica. I'm the worship pastor here. We just want to invite you to worship Jesus with us this morning. We are so glad we can be together as a family. Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This
He is a good, good father, is he not? And he loves us so much. And it is an honor to be with you today, praising our father together. And what I'd love for you to do is just greet one another real quickly. Would you do that? Just say hello. Uh, shake a hand around you. Give a high five. Uh, excellent. It's good to be together today. All right, well, go ahead and grab a seat. It is wonderful to be with you. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Uh, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. And we are continuing in this series. We're kind of unpacking the book of 1 John. And uh, it's all about Jesus. So we're looking at how we live in Jesus, and we live with Jesus, and we live for Jesus. And that's, that's what this entire letter is all about, uh, that uh, the, the, the apostle, the disciple John, is writing a letter. And um, what I want to do is I want to I start with I, I asked a question this week on Facebook, and actually a couple hundred of you responded to me, and it was actually super wonderful. So if you were one of the contributors, I want to thank you. Uh, the question that I asked on Facebook was this. I asked, what is a bit of great advice you have received over the years? And it was really so fun to read all of the responses, but uh, here's just a sampling. Um, like, believe in yourself. That was a good piece of advice. Keep your eye on the ball. Step toward the pitch. Those are baseball advice, I guess. Work hard. Stay humble. Uh, here's one. Be kinder than necessary. Everyone is facing some sort of battle. How about this? Don't make decisions when you're angry. And don't make promises when you're happy. All right? Here's one. This too shall pass. That's, that's good, isn't it? And some, some were encouragement, some were practical, some were spiritualism, some were kind of funny, like don't eat gas station sushi, right? Or uh, this one my dad sent, never trust a fart, okay? Um, my friend Carmen actually uh, attached this clip and I thought it was pretty interesting. Go ahead and watch this. What is the most inspiring thing I ever said to you? Don't be an idiot, changed my life. Whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. All right, very helpful, very practical. And the reason why I want to start with advice today is because the gospel writer, John, who is writing this letter to the churches in the first century, he is now a much older man. He has been a longtime follower of Jesus. Remember, he was a disciple in his teen years and has been following him faithfully ever since. And he's writing this letter to the believers in the first century, which means that we can take it as a letter that's written to our hearts today. And what he wants to do is he wants to pass on good encouragement and practical advice and spiritual wisdom. He doesn't want any of us being an idiot in our faith journey, right? He wants us to be wise. And so, in fact, in this great chapter, uh, chapter two, in this great passage, he actually writes to all God's children, and then he writes to those who are mature in their faith, and then he writes to those who are new in their faith. And it's almost like he's saying, look, it actually doesn't matter where you are in this journey, that there is still great distances to cross. There is still great adventure ahead for you. And so as I felt God prompting me this week, what I did was I, I wanted to take a look at all of these cautions and admonitions and parental care from Papa John. Uh, that's, that's what I call him. I think it's funny. You might not think it's funny, but he's older, so Papa John. And I wanted to unpack them together. And, and what I want to do is I also want to thank those of you who are reading through 1 John while we're in this series. I know many, many of you are. The deal is as you read through the, the book of 1 John, you'll see that he cycles through some key themes again and again and again. He kind of keeps circling back to these same areas. And I want you to know there are three key themes that are found within this book. One of them is the doctrinal theme, which is what are you believing? 
The next one is the ethical theme, how are you living? And the third is the relational theme, which is how do you love? And, and so you need to understand that what he's trying to do with all of these themes is to answer this overarching question, what does it really look like to truly and in fact be a follower of Jesus Christ? So that's what he's going after. What we're gonna do today is unpack the ethical theme, the how we are to live theme. Next week, we'll take a look at John's wisdom around what it is that we're to believe. And then in the last couple of weeks, we'll tackle the love theme. So the admonition that we start with today, if you're filling in the blanks, is this. Do not love this world. That's where we wanna start. That's where John begins it. Do not love this world. And so uh, we'll jump into the scripture. First John chapter two, verse 15. John's writing, he says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So let's start with that first phrase, do not love this world. Some of you immediately, when you did the fill-in, you're like, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do not love this world. There's actually this really famous passage of scripture that the gospel writer John writes in John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says something like, for God so loved the world. And, and he loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus to, to save the world. So how is it then that, that we're hearing, oh, you're not to love the world? Well, I want you to understand that this idea of loving the world in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, we recognize that that is a true and consistent message through scripture. And it starts in Genesis chapter one where you might go back to the, the creation of all things. And you might remember that from the imagination of God, the cosmos is spoken into existence and galaxies and nebula and mitochondria and migration of African swallows and caribou and colonies of penguins in Antarctica and the Northern Lights in the North. And, and all of these things emanated from the thought and the spoken word of God into reality. And after God saw all things that he had created, including humans. He saw all things and he declares, it is, say it with me, good, right? It's good. And, and so you need to understand that, that when it says God so loved the world, it's referring to the creation, right? The cosmos and all of the people that Jesus died for, which is who? It's for everybody, right? And so what does that mean? We, it means we are to love and to care for and to steward the created order and also that we're to love the people that Jesus died for, which is everybody. So all that's kind of backstory. Now, what does John mean when he says, do not love the world? Here's what he's talking about. He's saying we are not to love the fallen systems of this world. We're not to love the fallen structures of power, and we're not to love the false cravings that the world inflames. So that's what John is talking about here. And it's especially, he's identifying three things, this, this overabundant or over inordinate desire for possession, pleasure, or accomplishment. Because these are a godless materialistic view of the universe. In fact, the first, the lust of the, the you know, the lust of the flesh or, or the craving for pleasure, that's really the lust of feel. How, how do you feel good? And then the, the lust of money or possessions, that's the lust of the haves. I got to have more. I got to possess more. And then the, the last, the pride of life or, or the accomplishments or possessions that result in pride, that's the lust of I did it my way, right? It's, it's putting yourself on the top. And this word lust or what we just read, the craving, that's really the recognition of inordinate desire or outsized desire, something that's, that's too large. Because you have to recognize that it's, it actually is a natural and fine thing to want to feel good. You want to have food to eat. You want to you know, be warm in your clothing, that kind of thing. It's natural to want to have uh, the things that you need in this life. And it's fine to want to accomplish good things. So, so that's not that. But it's this oversized desire for all these things. It's this inordinate pursuit of all these things. And, and that creates an idolatry. Because when we pursue 
when we pursue feeling good or pleasures in this life, that leads to all sorts of addictions and medications to feel good all the time, which leads to imprisonment of substance or sex or adrenaline. It's the inordinate desire to have which drives debt and it drives the keeping up with the Joneses and it drives the always having to buy the last gadget or the latest toy or car or clothes. And it's the outsized desire for ambition and making a name for oneself, which leads to workaholism and to reckoning our value based upon achievement and, and our worth based upon titles. And what John is saying is that all these things are empty, that all these things are just going to fade away. And if your life is built upon these things, if you're reckoning your identity and your worth based upon these things, then when they fade away, so will your sense of worth and value. But if you live to please God, he says at the end of this passage, you'll live forever because you've chosen to build your identity on something that is eternal. You've chosen to build your life on something that lasts forever. Now, you might ask a question, well, how is it that people fall in love with things that aren't good for them? How is it that people fall in love with things that not only that maybe not good for them, but that are actually harmful to them? And I just wanna say, I hope you recognize that you know this happens to us humans all the time, right? Like we can convince ourselves to love just about anything and, and, and especially things that might not be good for us. In fact, I want you to think for a moment about acquired tastes. Can you do that? Think about a taste that you have acquired in your lifetime. Uh, you have to acquire taste for a lot of things. You have to acquire taste for coffee you have to acquire taste for, say, Dijon mustard. Uh, you, kombucha, you have to acquire a taste for kombucha, right? Yeah, because the first time you drink kombucha, it, it feels like you're drinking, you know, dumpster water or something. And, and, and yet people fall in love with it. I, I love kombucha. So, so here's the deal. This week I, I discovered something. I discovered that people eat jellyfish. How many of you, for, is this the first time you're recognizing this fact? Because this is the first time this week. How many of you just, just now are first time hearing that people actually eat jellyfish? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So It's so amazing to me because that has to be an acquired taste, right? There's simply no way that somebody was out, you know, in the ocean and they looked and they spotted the, uh, you know, the, the, the plastic bag of the animal kingdom, right? with the tentacles that, that will sting you and maybe paralyze you or even kill you and saw that thing floating there and said, get in my belly, right? <laughs> Nobody did. It just never happened. Somebody had to acquire that taste. And, and so, yeah, you can see that, that people fall in love with stuff that, that isn't necessarily good for them, wasn't nutritious for them, and it is potentially harmful to them. I read this week about something a little more serious, something called the Stockholm Syndrome. You might know that. It's where hostages that are in stressful kidnapping situations end up sympathizing with, and in some cases even falling in love with, their captors. And so when it comes to people who fall in love with the systems of this world, even the systems that won't fulfill them, and even the pursuits that will create self-harm for them, Right? Even, even though it's going to fade away, people can fall in love with things that are really detrimental to them. There's this song by the Eagles. Eagles, great, great classic rock band. Some of you think country, you're wrong. It's classic rock. And the Eagles sing this song called Desperado. And there's a couple of lyrics in there that are literally kind of swiped from this letter that John wrote. He, one of the lyrics says, these things that are pleasing you will hurt you somehow. Uh, there's another lyric that says, it seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table, but you only want the ones that you can't get, right? And, and that's exactly what John's talking about here. The, that's what the world does. The, the world offers pleasures that, that will hurt you. The world says, don't be content with what you have. Be always looking for that next thing. 
The world says, you know what your, your, your worth is? What you have accomplished. What have you done for me lately? That's what your worth is. That's your value. And it drives us to accomplish and to pursue more and more and more. And, and so John says, look, if you fall in love with those things, if you fall in love with those pursuits, if those systems that the world whispers about, whether it's worldly power or pleasure or possessions or achievements, he's saying, it's going to fade away and leave you unfulfilled. But instead, he says, do what pleases God. Live in relationship with him and live forever. Another admonition that John brings, if you're filling in the blanks, is this. You need to be aware about antichrists. <laughs> Some of you are like, hello? You just woke up. You just joined us. Uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Yeah, antichrist. You need to be aware about antichrist. And in order for us to understand what he's talking about, we got to unpack this passage. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18, he writes, Dear children, the last hour is here. So we are in the last days. We're, we're in the last of the, you know, the seasons of creation. We're at the end of this. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, capital A, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. For this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you are not like that. You can underline that phrase. You are not like that. For the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who's a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. All right, so let's unpack this. What John is doing is he's actually working toward his next book, which begins as letters to seven churches and then becomes a document, which is in our Bibles. Uh, it's called Revelation. So John also writes the book of Revelation in the scriptures. And in that book, he writes about the Antichrist, capital A, but here what he's doing is he's warning about antichrists in general, lowercase a, and he defines them. These are those people who deny that Jesus is the Christ, who deny the Father and the Son. And, and he's saying those who are against Jesus are anti-him. So anti-Jesus, anti-Christ. And they've left the church or they never belonged to the church. And these people who are against Jesus, they might actually be your neighbor might actually be your coworker, might actually be people in your own family, people who deny that Jesus is the Christ. And, and so if that's the case, it begs the question, well, how do we react to them? How do we respond to people who are against Jesus? And here's the answer. You might want to write it down if, if you want to know where John's going to go in this letter. We love them with the love of Jesus in order to love them into the love of Jesus. So this is the, the main theme that John's going to tackle when he talks about his teaching on love and how it is that we love and who do we love. But I want you to understand in this passage what he's saying is we can love those who are against Jesus wholeheartedly because Jesus loves them wholeheartedly. But we don't allow their anti-Jesus sentiment to infect or influence us. In other words, we love them, but we don't want to be like them in this regard. And that's why I had you underline the phrase, but you are not like that. He says in verse 20, you are not like that. Why? Because the Holy One has given you his spirit. To, so that we all know the truth. God's spirit dwells within each one of us if we're followers of Jesus. And so he is the one who's leading us into all truth. Friends, this is so very important. And it brings us to the next fill-in that John wants us to understand is that God's spirit brings us discernment. It's his spirit within our lives that brings us discernment so that we can know how it is that we live and move into the fullness of truth. The Holy Spirit is actually identified by Jesus. What Jesus calls the Holy Spirit is the counselor. That means he brings us counsel. He brings us guidance. He brings us leadership and he helps us as we open up the scriptures to discern what it is that, that God is leading us into, how it is that we can apply his word into our lives, what it is that his will is for us and how we're to live and who we're to love. And by the way, we're to love everyone. That's where his spirit leads us. 
But there's another warning here that John wants to bring, and it's just this, that not everyone who says they're speaking by God's Spirit really is speaking by God's Spirit. And, and what John wants to do is make sure that we understand that some of the people who say they're speaking for God really aren't. And so he goes into this in 1 John chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. And then he gives us a test. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Can you circle that phrase? We'll come back to it. That Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. Okay, so let's unpack it. This passage is actually a reference to a first century movement known as Gnosticism. It starts with a G, G-N-O-S, Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was this really interesting, it was kind of this, uh, it, was, it was this a movement that happened. It started in the church and kind of moved through the church. Super interesting. I mean, there was really interesting claims that it made. And, and you know, I'm saying super interesting for, you know, heresy, right? Like, so it's just, it's made up stuff. But here's what they believe, the Gnostics. And this is what John's referring to. The Gnostics would, would teach that, that the spirit was good, but, but the body was bad. So it's a really a kind of a duality in the universe that, that the spirit was good, but all matter, all flesh, anything that was material was bad. And, you know, so that's not too hard for us to understand. But here's where it got a little weird, even more than a little. They would, they would claim that Jesus was good. But that means that, that Jesus couldn't have a body because the body was bad. So they would teach that Jesus came to earth and he did everything that the Bible says that he did, but, but he, he wasn't really a man. He just appeared to be a man. Like, yeah, like it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, like kind of if you ever saw the old movie Cocoon where the aliens show up as beings of light, but they wear rubber skin suits to look human. And of course they visit the Florida Keys as you do. So, um, so that's what the Gnostics claimed about Jesus, that he was this spirit, this being of light, and he, and he came to earth, and he didn't really have a body. He just appeared to have a body. And then there was another part of it that taught, well, he had a body up until, you know, he was uh, doing his ministry, and then, he, you know, he left his body. It just gets weird. But John's saying, that's why I had you circle the word, Jesus came with a real body, because John's arguing what, what all followers of Jesus have believed through the centuries is this, that Jesus is fully man and yet fully God at the same time. That he's actually fully human and fully divine. And, and so that's what John's saying. Like these false prophets are going to go out and they're claim all kinds of crazy things about Jesus. But you need to understand that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Now the second part of the Gnostic philosophy and it has to do with the first, this duality, is that because the body is bad, they believed. And by the way, remember, what, who created the body? God. Who created matter? God. What did, what did God say after he created everything? It's good. So we're on God's side on this one, right? I don't want you to be confused. So, but they would claim that, that matter's bad, the body's bad, and that the spirit is good. And because the spirit is good and the body's bad, it didn't matter what you do in the body. So basically, they would give full license to all kind of depravity, all kind of lust, all kind of Roman Greco licentiousness. Like, they said all of that stuff is okay because those things just affect the body. And who cares about the body? All that matters is the spirit. And so John's addressing that issue as well. And and the reason why I bring this up is because when you talk about Gnostics and you talk about some of the crazy things they believe, you might be tempted to think that we are in a different culture and that we don't have these same kinds of deceptions floating around. But I want you to understand that even today, there are people who, I mean, especially today, people who believe that Jesus is not God. They'll deny that Jesus is God. And people who believe, who think that Jesus, he was some kind of a metahuman, some kind of a suprahuman, some, some kind of a, you know, celestial being just appearing to be a human on, on earth. 
And for sure you'll hear people say, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do in terms of your sin life. In fact, people will say there is no sin. Okay, so, so you've got all of these sort of auxiliary beliefs of the Gnostics still floating around today. And, and what John wants us to do is lean into God's spirit to help bring us discernment so that we can navigate our way through it. All right, then John keeps going. He says, but you, look at this, but you belong to God. Go ahead and circle that phrase. You belong to God, my dear children. You have already won, circle that phrase, you've already won a victory over these people because look at this, the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them, but we belong to God. Oh, friends, this is so good. You belong to God. You are his beloved children. You have already won. Oh, wow. And look at verse four. This is the power verse for us. That greater is the spirit who dwells in you than the spirit who lives in the world. See, we've been talking about this anti-Jesus perspective. We've been talking about the systems of the fallen world and all the stuff that comes against the kingdom of God. And John is saying, yeah, yeah, listen though, listen. The spirit of God living in you is greater than the antichrist in the world. John is saying the spirit of God dwelling in you is greater than the enemy of the father, greater than the God of this fallen world. You belong to God. You have him dwelling inside of you. So breathe deeply your empowerment, right? The God of the universe loves you and dwells within you and fills you with strength and purpose and guides you into full and eternal life. Come on, somebody, this is awesome, awesome truth, right? And then, and what John says is this, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. Do not make a practice of sinning. What happens when you practice something, you become really good at it? John's saying, don't do that with sin, right? We don't practice sinning. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God and the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Okay, so the world is under the control of the evil one. And and that's something actually that Jesus identifies when he's here in his earthly ministry and and we just see that, that since the fall, that, that, uh, that it's the enemy of God who has sought to, to you know, pursue power and, and to stir up ambition and strife and violence and dominance and, and greed and lust and everything else. So all that is a result of the enemy of God who, who right now is, he, he works at will in the world, okay? So that's what's happening. The reminder, of course, is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And this verse says, God's son holds us securely. So you are being held securely in the hand of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what that looks like, you might want to just jot down the phrase Romans 8, 38 and 39. Romans 8, 38 and 39, because it talks so clearly about how there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that's in uh, Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Neither height nor debt, right? There's nothing in all of the created order. There's nothing you can do or say or think. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So when the scripture says that he holds you securely, you need to write it like a couple of exclamation points around the word securely. Like nothing is more secure than the hand of Christ. Amen. So that is a secure place to be. And what John is saying is that Okay, you are living in and with and for Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Jesus is holding you securely. So we don't make a practice of sin. This is not our habit. It's not what we're known for. But it does beg the question, well, what what is the deal when a follower of Jesus sins? By the way, I would just have you know, we are to seek to avoid sin, not to pursue sin. We're we're to seek to avoid sin, like the the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, right? And and so you go through that prayer, lead us not into temptation. So we we want to hold tight to the Lord as he leads us not into temptation. We don't want to pursue sin or look for sin because Jesus is really clear that what you seek, you find. 
So do not seek to find sin. You'll find it. Right? We seek to avoid sin. But what happens when a follower of Jesus sins? A couple of things you might need to know. With the Spirit of God living in you, a believer, a follower of Jesus, will lapse into sin and then loathe it deeply within. There's going to be a deep sense of dissatisfaction for the follower of Jesus. Why? Because you've got the Spirit of God dwelling within you, and the Spirit of God is grieved when we choose to sin. So, so a follower of Jesus will lapse into sin and loathe it. The person who does not know Jesus will leap into sin and love it. And, and not just love it while the, the fun part of sin endures, because there is a fun part of sin or else it would never be tempting. But, there, but not just when the fun part endures, but a little bit like the Stockholm Syndrome, that they end up falling in love with this actual system of oppression, this system of imprisonment. Right? They, they'll fall in love with this, this broken worldly system and, and, and it will leave them in bondage. And so that's why he says, look, the, the, the one who is God's child, won't practice this. But we will recognize that we are held securely in the hand of Jesus Christ. And then I want you to remember what we talked about last week in 1 John 1, 9. Because when we do sin, and I don't say if, I say when, because this is a reality. We will stumble into sin. But 1 John 1, 9 assures us that what we do is we run as fast as we can into the light of Jesus Christ. And we run into his light and we confess our sin to him. And he is faithful and just in that moment when we confess our sins to him with humble hearts agreeing with him over our sin that he is our advocate and he forgives us of all sin and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And this is the source of our hope. Not that we have earned our righteousness, but that our righteousness is given to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel, is that it's all from Jesus. Okay, so then John continues. He says, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray, but you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. Look at that first line. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. There are those who want to lead you astray. There, there is an enemy of God. The enemy of God is called the father of lies. And what he will do is he will do anything possible to deceive you, to trick you, to whisper half-truths to you. He'll do anything possible to, to help you justify yourself, to, to, to talk about how entitled you are to whatever sinful pursuit you're interested in at any given moment. The, the enemy of God is working overtime and his whispers are these. He's saying, listen, is Jesus really God? He's, he's, he's whispering. He's saying, oh, you know, does it really matter if you sin? Like how you live, does that really matter? He's whispering like, you know, it feels good if, if you do this thing. What if you do it, you know, times 10? It feels good if, if you have these possessions. What about the possessions you don't have? Don't you want more? Whispers things like, oh, you've accomplished a little in your life, but are you really worth anything? Like, you need to accomplish more. You need to go after more. You got to get more titles. You got to get more money. You got to get more accolades. And, and just whisper after whisper after whisper. There's one who wants to lead all of us astray. It reminds me of, a, of an old story about how some bandits sneak into a jewelry store. And what they do when they sneak into this jewelry store, it's got the full spectrum of all kinds of things, sparkly and, and all kinds of jewels and from like the lower end type of plastic stuff and the cubic zirconium stuff and the, just the sequins and the rhinestones all the way to the, the highest end of diamonds and emeralds and rubies. And, and the bandits sneak into this jewelry store and they don't steal anything. All they do all night long is switch the price tags. All they do is they go and they, they take off the, the $40 price tag from the cubic zirconium and they put on the $40,000 price tag. And then they go to, you know, the queen's necklace and they put on the $40 price tag to that. 
Or then they go over to the rhinestone and they put a $20,000 tag on the rhinestone and they take the $20 tag and they put it on a diamond ring that is nearly priceless. And they spend all night switching the price tags and they leave and no one knows. And the next day, the store opens and it's business as usual. Nobody knows what's happened. The people working the store don't catch it. The, the customers who come in don't catch it. And so you've got these customers then that spend all of their life savings on a little piece of plastic that's just worthless. And then you've got these other customers who come in humbly with all they can afford and they leave with something that is nearly priceless, that's precious beyond value. And what John is saying is this, what the world offers, it's just rhinestone. It's just pieces of plastic. There's no lasting value in the worldly whispers of temptation. There's no lasting value with those who want to lead you astray. You, you could give it all. You could sell it all. You could, you could go after pleasure. You could go after possessions. You could go after accomplishments. But at the end of the day, it's all going to fade away. And there'll be nothing of value or substance left. There'll be no fulfillment or significance left. That, that it all floats away. And then so does your time and so does your life because you've invested in those things. And, and John says, don't do that. He says, dear children, don't. But instead, instead would you humbly hold on to that which is most precious, that which is most valuable, that which will bring you life, not only in this lifetime, but forever and ever, amen. Would you, would you hold on to what is truly precious beyond all measure? And that's why John argues this above all things. He says, live as children of God. Friends, this is the priceless treasure that you and I can keep. Live as children of God. That's the last fill-in. In 1 John 5.21, it says this. And I believe this actually serves as almost a kind of overarching umbrella of all of the warnings and all the admonitions and all the advice that Papa John wants to bring to us. And it's this. He says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. You see, Jesus is to be enthroned in our hearts. He, he's to be set in the highest place in our hearts because not only is it the place that he is worthy of in your life and in my life, but when we put Jesus on the throne, then all of the rest of our lives come into proper alignment with him. And so we put him on the throne and we orient the rest of our lives to him being enthroned in our hearts. But what John is saying is don't let anything dethrone the Lord. Don't let anything push him off the throne and, and no other pursuit, no other craving, no other desire. Don't let anything else push Jesus off the throne of our hearts. And so friends, consciously, we have to choose to make this decision that, that we say we're not gonna go for the whispers of the world. We're not gonna pursue pleasures. We're not gonna pursue the materialism. We're not gonna pursue the accomplishment, but instead we're gonna pursue fellowship with Jesus. We're gonna live filled with his Holy Spirit and we're gonna live as children of God. Amen? Amen. Okay, all right. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray together. Jesus, we wanna thank you for how you love us, how you care for us. How, I wanna thank you for the way in which you have worked in the life of John, your disciple, and the wisdom that you gave him to write these words and, and then the power that your Holy Spirit communicates them to our hearts today. I'm just so thankful for all of that. And Lord, what we wanna do is come before you now and we ask that you would continue your good work in our lives. Even as John identifies you know, God's children and those who are mature in their faith and those who are new in their faith, Jesus, we recognize it in this room and, and watching online that we are all at different places in our faith journey. And yet, Jesus, you meet each one of us where we are. You take each one of us by the hand and you lead each one of us forward 
into greater adventure, into greater intimacy with you, into greater joy and greater fulfillment and greater purpose and, and a greater manifestation of your kingdom in our lives and in our world. And so would you just be with us now? Holy Spirit, come fill each one of us up. Allow us to hear your voice and to walk in your truth and to be assured that you are with us every step of the way. We pray all these things in your name, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to continue to worship Jesus uh, through the giving of our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings. And I want to encourage you to take just a minute and fill out this connection card that's in your handout. Uh, fill out uh, any updated information, email address, anything that might have changed. And, and then please put some prayer requests on the back. If we can pray for you, if we can lift you before the Lord or your family or your needs, please write that down. If today you made a spiritual decision, you, did, you decided to trust Jesus today, uh, maybe today you recommitted your life to Jesus, you can mark those and, and we celebrate that with you. And then finally, the last one talks about reading through the book of 1 John. Uh, please join us. There are so many already that are reading through 1 John and, and I would just encourage you, if you've not marked that down, go ahead and do that. And then as the offering buckets come, you can drop these cards in along with any tithes, gifts, or offerings. Um, if this is your first time, we're really glad that you're here today. Thank you for joining us. Why don't you hold on to your card and then on your way out, you can stop by the Connection Center and turn in that card for a gift. It's just our way of saying thank you for being with us today. Okay, ushers, why don't you come and we'll collect our cards and our gifts. Let's stand and respond.
Oh, what a beautiful posture to, to kind of enter this week with, a, a posture of saying, all right, Lord, whatever you have, I'm, I'm ready. I'm available. I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I want to be a living sacrifice, ready to be used for your work. And I, and I think that is exactly the heart here, that we come into this understanding and this deeper love of Jesus. And, and 1 John has taken us there. And then we, 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 we are sent out uh, by his spirit to bring his kingdom, his ways, his love into this world. I just love it. I love this family so much. Well, just two things, and then I'd love to send us all out of here uh, with a word of blessing. And, and the first is this, that, that there is a way to make that song a reality by, by joining a short-term team. And so there's a table in the hallway as you head out of, of the various trips, the various places that we're, we're partnering with others and in, in, in re really bringing God's love in, into these different uh, nations and places. Um, and so check it out. It, it's awesome, an awesome opportunity to, 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 to go with a team of Overlakers into these awesome places and, and see some amazing things happening. Uh, the second thing is if there's any way we can pray with you or for you or if there's anything going on in your life that you would just love to, to maybe celebrate, praise Jesus for, uh, we would love to welcome you to the prayer alcove. On the second floor, we have signs that will direct you there. A uh, great team of people that just love to pray and listen. And so take advantage of that before you leave. And, and then lastly, again, I'd love to just, just bless you. So, so turn your faces heavenward and just allow these words to kind of soak over you as you leave. And now, Overlake, may you go from this place reminded that you belong to God. So may your lives be overcome by a deeper desire for the things of your heavenly Father. And may the desire for the things of this world slowly fade away. Be strengthened in your hearts, your minds, your bodies, and spirits through Jesus this very week. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.